Howdy. Welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. True faith in God will give you true works. You can fake faith, but you will not have real fruit or works. You can fake works, but not have real faith. But these two things are like sunlight and water to a plant. They are both necessary to a true Christian walk. The Bible tells us a few have fallen short and sinned. Come on, there we go. I'm seeing if you guys are actually listening or awake yet. We all have, right? This leads to our need of Jesus and his gift from the cross. Amen, church family? You know, I, all, I want us all to have faith and work, so let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for this opportunity. Lord, and I ask that you make me a vessel, that you would fill me up and pour me out. Please help my words to be your words, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to open your Bibles with me to Romans 12, 3. I hear them all coming out, so I'll give you a second. We're going to use them a few times today, so it's good to hear those pages turn. God hath dwelt, dealt to every man a measure of faith. So guys, God gives us a start in this journey. We just need to ask him to come in our lives and finish that work, finish the faith. So we've all been given some faith. But it might be helpful before we dive too far in this to define what faith really means. You know, the easy way to do that is to look up the definition. The dictionary definition says a complete trust or confidence in something or someone. But do we really care? What is faith when it comes to religion? Okay, open your Bibles again. Hebrews 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. It's kind of powerful, isn't it? This is something that can bring down the mighty walls of Jericho. Our, one of our Adventist founders, A.T. Jones, said, Faith comes by the word of God to the word, then we must look for it. Amen. So we find faith in the word of God. Matthew 8.10. Jesus responded to the centurion, I have not found so great faith, no, not in all of Israel. So wait, guys. What, what is this? I mean, why would a heathen show faith? He asked God to speak the word only and it shall be done. What was the centurion expecting to do the work? Who was going to do the work? It was the word of God. You see, believing God's word is true and his word will always do what it says is the definition of Christian faith. God cannot lie because when God speaks, it is truth. 
Look at creation. God speaks, it happens. Did he speak and do work? Or was there even a period of time between him speaking and the work happening? No. So faith is believing God's word is truth. Jesus created, Jesus' words healed, Jesus' words will forgive if you ask. Jesus' words are truth. So we're going to consider one of my favorite stories. It's Israel in Egypt. It is filled with faith leading to works. The Israelites had grown too many. We've all heard this story since we were children. The Egyptians began to rightly, rightfully fear their slaves. There were about 600,000 military age men. So if you add in women, children, retirees, we don't want to forget them, that puts us around 2.4 million Israelites. That's a lot of people. As a result, Pharaoh orders a twist on genocide. He's going to kill all the male babies. You know, Satan, just like with Christ's birth, hopes to stop God's plans. How can, a sa- how can we have a savior if he can stop one from being born? So Moses is hidden, and as he gets louder, like all little boys can, Monroe's being really quiet though, it's awesome. <laughs> Moses' mother puts her faith fully in God. Amen? Amen? She builds him a miniature ark, she tars it up, and puts her baby into the Nile. Now mothers and fathers, can we... Zane, can you imagine putting baby Monroe in a little basket and just pushing her out into a river? You could hardly imagine doing that in a swimming pool right now, I'm sure. But this wasn't a swimming pool. This was the Nile. There was dangers. There was crocodiles. This was serious. You know, like in our lives, God's hand guides He places this little ark where his plans can be fulfilled. Pharaoh's daughter loves this baby and knows she has to keep him. Remember, the Egyptians believed that all aspects of life were controlled by supernatural powers. One important religious concept was the creation of the universe. For Egyptian spiritualism, creation was the act of generation represented by the Nile flooding once a year. They also believed daily it was a reaction of that, react, reactment of that. So I bet finding this baby coming out of the river was some kind of spiritual meaning to her. God knows how to make us react, right? And as she pulls him out of the water, she names him Moses, which literally means to be drawn out. Miriam bravely asks this princess if she needs a maid to take this baby. Moses' mother gets to spend more time with her son. Guys, and what a mother Moses had, right? Oh, that we might all be trained as Moses was. His mother knew he could be taken away at any time. We're told in the book Education, page 61, younger than Joseph or Daniel was Moses when removed from the sheltering care of his childhood home. Yet already the same agencies that shaped their lives had molded his. Only 12 years did he spend with his Hebrew kindred. 
but during these years was laid the foundation of his greatness. It was laid by the hand of one little known to fame. So in 12 years, Moses's mother laid that foundation. Amen, church? That we all could be trained that way. It's something to strive for, right, Zane and Hannah? All those lessons in life. Now, open your Bibles again with me to Acts 7, verse 22. Can I maybe get some amens when we get there so I know where we're at? And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. You know, we know actually from ancient manuscripts from by some Jewish historians known by Josephus and Artipaeus that Moses was an Egyptian prince that led armies of Egypt in battles against the Ethiopians. It's kind of interesting. Furthermore, that Moses led Egyptians in taking a city by, in a war lasting 10 years. Moses became a favorite with the armies of Egypt, being known for his remarkable character. Thank you to Moses' mother. She raised her boy right, as we would say in the South. So Moses was taught in Egypt which was the most powerful and civilized nation of that time. He received the greatest education money could buy. Nothing was spared. Moses received the highest civil and military training. Pharaoh had even planned to make his adopted grandson his successor on the throne. And thus, Moses was educated for that position. As a renowned military leader and future Pharaoh, he became his nation's pride and joy. Moses knew the throne would be his if only he would give in to the religion of the Egyptians. He just had to become a member of their priesthood and he was taught in all those mysteries of the Egyptian religion. But Moses refused to sell God short. Trying to convince Moses of their religion, the Egyptians would try to reason with him by arguing their beliefs. Moses showed them their folly of their superstitions in senseless objects, and when, he, and when he had done his work, none could refute Moses' arguments. I'm sure Satan tried to tempt Moses to give in because all of this could be used towards God's plan, right? Just bend a little. Moses, if you pretend to worship, you will be Pharaoh and you can free your people. He could have made excuses of how the ends can justify the means. However, Moses had faith that God would hold fast to his word and that there was another way. Moses made the truly normal, no, noble choice. Never sell God short of his glory to do great things in our lives. Patriarchs and Prophets talks about Moses. It says... His intellectual greatness distinguishes him above the great men of all ages. As a historian, poet, philosopher, general of armies, a legislator, he stands without a peer. Moses was a great man, and he was prepared to be the greatest ruler of the greatest empire in the world at that time. 
Another quote from eternity past. The elders of Israel were taught by angels that the time for their deliverance was near and that Moses was the man whom God would employ. Angels instructed Moses that Jehovah had chosen him to break the bondage of his people. He, supposing that they were obtained their freedom by arms, expected to lead the Hebrew host against the armies of Egypt. That has huge significance. There's two things there. Moses knew who he was. Moses knew he was going to save Israel. He was chosen by God, and he was a mighty, earthly trained commander. He had knowledge in the most modern leadership and warfare of his day. Number two is, he was going to take Egypt by force. He knew that. His training gave him the expertise in that. He had practiced that. Remember the 10-year war. All he needed was the right time, and he could use the training he had been trained given. So now we go. Moses sees one of the Israelites being punished. He knew that this was the time God had given him. Hoping to bring the Israelites together, using his training, he seems to quickly and ineffectively kill the guard and bury him quickly in the sand. It was time, guys. This was what he had been trained for. So now let's pause the story for a moment. We forgot to define works. So let's go back and define what are works. The dictionary definition means to be engaged in physical or mental activity in order to achieve a purpose or result, especially in one's job. The book, Faith and Work, says, Christianity is simply by... Christianity is simply living by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We are to believe in and live in Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We have faith in God when we believe his word. We trust and obey God when we keep his commandments, and we love God when we love his law. At a minimum, most of you could probably agree with me that obeying God and his law constitutes works. The law is our measuring stick of what types of works we should pursue. I think, then, we must strive to understand the law. Amen, church? To love God, we must love his law. What really amazes me is when you study out God's characteristics and the characteristics of the law, they're the same. It's a repeat of the quote I just read, to love God, you must love the lower law. Another place is Exodus 32, 15, refers to the commandments as the tables of the testimony. Could God's law be a testimony of his character? What if they are the same characteristics? The book Faith and Work says, The cross of Calvary forever condemns the idea that Satan has placed before the Christian world. That the death of Christ abolished not only the typical system of sacrifices and the ceremonies, but the unchangeable law of God, the foundation of his throne, the transcript of his character. See, they're the same thing. And I made quite the eye chart for you. 
and get caught up. So if you look at that first line, you have righteous and God is. Psalm 71, 19 tells us, thy righteousness also, O God, is very high. And then if you look up Psalms 119, 172, all thy commandments are righteous. They're the same thing, amen? You can actually go down this list of all these things I've listed from wise, refuge, perfect, help, pure, holy, light, good, true, spiritual, faithful, love, unchangeable, eternal, and I'm sure there's many more examples I didn't find. God's law and God's character are intertwined. I want to look at one of the important ones here. We're going to look at love, which is, we're going to go to the Matthew verse first. So if you'd go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And if I could get an amen when you guys get there. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So friends, what is the great commandment? Love God. It's to love God with all our heart. And the next is to love love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the model of the law. So if you look at the first four commandments, you can see that they represent how to love God. And then if you swing to the next six, Commandments. They're to do Matthew 22, 3, 30, uh, 22, 39, and that's to love others. One of my favorite texts in the Bible, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, God's character is wrapped up in his law. You can see the Ten Commandments tie to the law of love by loving God first, others second, and ourselves last. So the law is love and is summarized in God's character. You know, I've often wondered before the Israelites if God even had to specify his law other than love. And if it wasn't because of our self-focus that the law had to be specified on how to love him and how to love others. You know, I grew up without much focus on giving and receiving cards. Then Amanda and I got married. I learned maybe a little too slow, like newly married men do, that that's how Amanda saw of showing care and love. So I learned that to give cards was important for me to show my love. God's commandments have given us that outline of how to show gratitude for his love and mercy. Amen, church? The law teaches us works by loving God and loving others. 
The Bible commentary on this concept says, the purpose of all of God's commandments is to reveal man's duty, not only to God, but to his fellow man. It is enough that he has said that the obedience to his statutes and law is the life and prosperity of his people. We should fully put God in our hearts. Israel was taught to keep the law on their hearts. To put it simply, it's the same thing. To understand the law, you would be reflecting Christ's character to all you come in contact with. Many think works or fruit is something forced, but to produce fruit, a vine needs to be watered and cared for. It doesn't come on its own. Sun and water and fertile soil are necessary. Good fruit works is the result of faith. Faith comes from trusting God's word in your life. Now let's get back to Moses. His plan for uprising fails. Can you imagine the confusion and disappointment he must have felt? Israel kind of turns their back on Moses. Where was God's promise? Pharaoh sees where Moses' loyalties lie. Moses hasn't accepted the priesthood and in fact begins an uprising. So Moses loses both lives and has to run to save himself. Keyword himself. This great commander ends up commanding sheep in the wilderness, not men. Can you imagine tending sheep after all that training and education? And also, it was his destiny to save God's people. That would have been a very expensive wool. We have the advantage of knowing the ending, but can you imagine 40 years as yourself as Moses? To me, he looks like he basically gave up. He was forced into running. Was this 40 years a punishment for Moses? God wants Moses to quit trying to do it and let God do it. How many of you here today, like me, think you know what God wants and try to make it happen your way? It's time, church family, to give it to God completely. Moses has a plan, but God's plans are always better. Moses had had, has to learn true faith in God, not himself, before you could see the true fruit of his works. So what did the 40 years do for Moses? The book Education tells us, amidst the solemn majesty of the mountain solitudes, Moses was alone with God. You could end right there, couldn't you, church? Everywhere the creator's name was written, Moses seemed to stand in his presence and to be overshadowed by his power. Here his self-sufficiency was swept away. And in the presence of the infinite one, he realized how weak, how ineffective, how short-sighted is man. So guys, have you ever planted something around your house? And after a few years, you realized you made a huge mistake and that thing was gonna be a lot bigger than what you planned? (laughs) It changes things, right? Without foresight, you plant this cute little baby oak right in front of your house. And then you end up with that. (laughs) Not only can you not see the house, but you might even have some structural problems going on. 
Allow God, who can see the big pictures, to plant the seeds in your life. Give it all to God. Grow in faith. Faith and relationship with God are the sun and water to the fruit of works. If God is truly in your heart, there's no way you can keep works from flooding to the surface. So after his time in the wilderness, Moses seems to fight God and doesn't want to go. It takes a burning bush, a pep talk from God, and an agreement that Aaron could do the public speaking to get this formerly gung-ho great, best trained in the land, to agree to go. What have these sheep really done to him? What a change already. And we all know the stories he returns. Pharaoh doesn't listen. The plagues come. Can you imagine frogs, boils, darkness, death? Why did they happen? Yeah, it was to save God's people, but not how many people think. God could have killed Pharaoh and and freed his people. He didn't need to do those things. However, the plagues were allowed to grow the faith of the Israelites. Without the signs from God that grew their faith in him, many would not have left the comfort of the big city. So let's fast forward a bit. The children of Israel escape. They see this pillar of cloud, this pillar of fire leading them. They witness the miracle of the Red Sea parting. Talk about faith building, right, friends? Moses gets to meet God on the mountain. It seems in life we forget how God has led us. Like the Israelites, we get tired of waiting After meeting God, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with his handwritten character, the Ten Commandments, in stone. Moses sees his people, his family, worshiping the golden calf. He throws those commandments to the ground and breaks them. God had told him while on the mountain he was going to destroy the Israelites and just start over. Moses sees his sin, this sin, For himself, and he is angry. How many times have we wandered from God after he has done a great work in our lives? Guys, this isn't the moment, though, I want to focus on. It's the next. So if you'd open your Bible to today's text, Jared read Exodus 32 32. If I could get an amen when we get there. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee out of thy book, which thou hast written. It's a little bit of confusing language, but wow. Guys, if you know what this book is, it's the book of life. Moses says, God, if you're going to destroy them, destroy me. Remember, Moses was angry enough, he broke the stone tablets. Why would he care if God destroys these unfaithful people? Is this the same commander that could kill a man in no time flat? Is this the same man that when his people didn't follow, he left? Is this the same man that didn't want to go when God called? What's the difference? Moses seems to be a new man. Moses has put God first, others second, and himself last. Moses is willing to give up his own life, his own salvation for his people. 
Moses put the law on his heart. And whose character does he now reflect? Who came to this earth to give his life that his people might live? His heart is fully reflecting our Savior. Amen? Amen. God tells us, if you guys want to turn with me to 1 John 1.9. You probably all have it memorized, so it's okay. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, faith is not saying that you must pay for your sins. Or that you cannot be completely forgiven unless you're extra good. It is believing God's word. God's word is truth. If you confess your sins, you are forgiven. God's word is truth. Once again, from the book, Faith and Works. It says, true sanctification, if I may, works, is nothing more or nothing less than to love God with all thy heart, to walk in his commandments and ordinances blameless. Sanctification is not an emotion, but a heaven-born principle that brings all passions and desires under the control of the Spirit of God. And this work is done through our Lord and Savior. To put it simply, we have to accept Jesus, his law, his will in our lives. Let him change each of you as he changed Moses. So I've been wondering what my life would look like fully dedicated to God like Moses dedicated. How about everyone here? You know, I feel like there would be no more Laodicean half-belief lukewarmness. I believe the SDA Church of Adairsville could change the whole world. How do we give it all up to God? How do we have faith that produces works like Moses? If you haven't given your sins to Jesus, folks, today is that day. Hold on to the promise in faith. God's word is truth. Your sins are forgiven. Friends, this is the most important decision you'll ever make. Now is the time to submit your will to his. Even Moses, the greatest trained in all the land, prepared to rule, he seemed to have it all. He had confidence in his training. However, he had to lay it all aside for God. He learned to put his faith in God so true works would follow. Let Jesus complete his work in your heart. Build on the faith God has given you by spending time with him. Please, family, family, don't hold on to treasured things in your heart that keep you from him. Give it all to God. This is not just a decision of a lifetime. This is the decision of all time. His character of love will be a part of you if you ask. Like Moses, we must love God and others before ourselves. If you, friends are willing to submit everything to Christ, accept his gift of salvation, and allow him to do his work by putting his law of love in you. Would you please stand with me for prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you see us all standing here in awe of your power, glory, and love. Forgive our sins, Father. Change us all. Put your law 
your character on our hearts that we might reflect you and put forth the fruit of works. We cannot wait to see you come in all of your glory. Thank you for this law of love and help us to truly embrace it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.